Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Resource Room Podcast. I am so absolutely excited to have you here today so that we can talk about all things phonics. So let's start with a little introduction, a little bit about you and what teaching looks like for you. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So um, I am a reading interventionist at a small school for kindergarten through third grade. And prior to that, I was a first grade teacher for several years. And I started a blog about 10 years ago and um, had this interest in dyslexia. And that's what led me to the science of reading. That's absolutely wonderful. And I told you before we press record, but I want to tell listeners too, they know I don't love Instagram. I, I just, it's not my thing. I'm trying to come around. I'm doing a little better, but it's not always my thing. But you were one, I would actually get on there and be like, okay, I got to binge everything because I haven't been on for three weeks. So I got to see what she, you know, what she posted because your ideas on Instagram are engaging to kids and also too eye-opening to teachers. Like we need to hear that information too. So thank you for posting that. Thank you so much. It's funny because I do feel like kind of a dinosaur sometimes on Instagram, you know, (laughs) I'm not one of the young ones on Instagram. So that's good to hear. (laughs) But it is so valuable that it's worth it. And I, I, understand the, like, you feel like you're too old. Cause that's, I think why I stay away. I think, oh my gosh, you're 34. Nobody cares what your kids are doing or whatever. <laughs> and so it's like, I, I don't always post on there, but for you, you share valuable content. You're not, you know, it's just, you do it so well. So everybody needs to follow you because snippets by Sarah so that they can really see what you're doing. Cause it's very, very valuable. And so with that, let's talk a little bit about why do you think phonics is so important? Why phonics? Such a good question. So when I started, I was a balanced literacy person. So I did a lot of, you know, the leveled readers and memorizing sight words. And even before I had any background knowledge, kind of was like, why isn't this working for a very large percentage of my students? Um, And I couldn't figure it out. And then I would kind of randomly throw in phonics and didn't understand why it wasn't sticking and why it wasn't helping. And I realized once I finally started doing phonics, I realized it gives them the tools to actually be successful with reading. They don't have to guess. Um, And I think it's funny because for a while it was like, oh, phonics is boring. But then I realized it's not boring for my students who were struggling because they went from having no idea how to get through this text to being like, oh, I can, I can read this. I have the tools and it, you know, it takes a while, but it really does. It's a, it's a code that you can unlock and it's really exciting to see when they have kind of gone through and then they can read because of it. So it's very important. And I also think too, sometimes that's like a long process. Like you don't overnight suddenly become this great decoder, but for a lot of our kids, I know earlier before we press record, you said a, a little bit about a book on dyslexia kind of got you started. Our kids with dyslexia are 
intelligent people. And so when we give them the information, when we give them the tools, they know how to use the tools or they will use the tools, but we just have to take the time to give it to them. Yeah. And we're we're not doing that often. True. And it's so exciting now that we know that even the dyslexic brain can be rewired to learn to read. And phonics is a really big part of that. So that part's so exciting knowing that, oh, even if it is difficult, it may take time. And for some students, that time is even longer, but it will give them the tools they need to successfully read. So that's always so exciting. Yes, absolutely. How did you get started with all of this? Like, I feel just from, you know, kind of my own journey in this, I wanted like one book, start here, read this, and it would tell me everything I need to know about the science of reading. And I'm discovering that's not a thing. So (laughs) how would you recommend other special ed teachers kind of get started in what they're doing so that they do know how they can help their kids? That's it. So how I started is different than how I would recommend people starting because I want to (laughs) win a really roundabout way because it was before the science of reading was a thing like or titled a thing I should say right. um and I went I started with dyslexia because I had a student that I didn't understand he was you know so severely dyslexic and I didn't know how to help him so I read um a book about dyslexia and that kind of started being like oh that taught me a little bit about how the brain works and really if you can start there and learning how the brain learns to read that's I think step one because mm-hmm. once have that knowledge, the rest of it will make a lot more sense to you. And that buy-in will come in too. So you're not just learning about the science of reading because it's like the thing that everyone's doing. You're like, oh, there's a purpose this. I see why I'm doing it. So if you can first learn about how the brain learns to read. And then for books, there's a lot of good ones, but I would say Anita Archer or Louisa Motes have like the most, the ones that you can apply right away. They give you a lot of background knowledge and um, like Anita Archer has one just about explicit instruction. It'll just, it'll take, get you started. And letters training, I think is kind of hard to get into if you're, if your school can't do it, but they have the books. You can just buy the books. And I did that long ago and just read them. And I learned so much. And that's kind of what started me out for those two. What was the book that you read on dyslexia that kind of got you started? It was a Sally Shaywitz book. Um, what was the exact title? Now, Overcoming Dyslexia by Sally Shaywitz. And it is the best book. You get so much information. And what I learned, because I started applying it to kids who, you know, I didn't know if they were dyslexic, but I thought, okay, they're the struggling readers. I'm going to change my instruction just for them. And I started to see such results that I was like, actually, maybe I'll just start doing this for everybody. And then I realized, oh, it, it really does work for everyone. And then the more I researched, the more I learned that in fact, yes, Structured literacy is um, important and essential for struggling readers, but it's beneficial for all. So basically it hurts nobody (laughs) and it's good for everybody. I think that's one of the biggest things for teachers to realize. It's not going to hurt anyone to have good, solid phonics instruction. Yeah. It's just going to be a benefit. And you start to see, um, I was, I'm really close with the first grade teacher at my school and she started this year. Um, you know, kind of doing more structured literacy. And one of her worries was, oh, is it going to be boring for my kind of um, more advanced readers? And what she found was they think it's fun. They actually have fun with it. They still are able to read 
things at their level, um, you know, because they're readers, they can take it aside and read, but their spelling has been improved. So I, I, that is something I started to see with third and fourth grade teachers being like, man, kids who are really good readers don't have the spelling piece when we were just doing the more balanced literacy. So I think every student, even the higher readers often do uh, need that kind of that background in the structure of the English language and with phonics just to, for their spelling. I've even seen at our school this year, we started using the Sunday system and it first started with like Sunday system one, just the intervention piece. And then now we have the essentials, which then each grade level, you know, uses. And a lot of our kids even are starting to then, you know, some of your higher level kids who maybe didn't need phonics instruction, quote unquote, they're then as they're reading, be like, oh, there's EA. Remember that EA says that, you know, so it's like they will naturally kind of take it to the level that they're ready for. My kids aren't doing that. It might be like, here is the word with an EA in it and we're breaking it down. But, you know, our kids will do what they want or what they need with that information that they have. So they're kind of doing things at their, you know, naturally differentiating and taking it to the level that they need. Absolutely. And and you just know that some kids are going to need more time with, like you said, EA. Some kids will need more time practicing that. And other kids will be like, all right, got it. I can move on. So you can still differentiate. But um, yeah, you could do single syllable words for one group and maybe multi-syllable words for another group. So yeah. And you're tackling the same skill just in different ways. That's wonderful. All right, Sarah. So let's say we have read a book or two. We're ready to kind of dive in, get our feet wet. It might be ugly at first, but we're ready. Where do we begin of knowing, okay, like me, for example, I might have kids from kindergarten to third grade. How do I know what I'm doing with them? And where do I start? I think starting with the sequence, finding a sequence is, that's so great because then you have your roadmap, you know where you're going and everything kind of comes off of that. So you know, there's lots of sequences out there. And I looked and looked and looked and looked. And ultimately what I did over the years was I tried different things until I found one that I just liked that seemed to flow well for me and my students and the way I teach. And if you look at, you know, multiple sequences, they're all pretty similar. Um, You know, you all start with CVC words, and then usually there's digraphs and blends and silent So they're pretty similar sequences. So find one that you like, Um, And then once you find one that you like, from there, you're going to think about just the structure of your, of your lessons. And there's some things like, you know, you'd asked about another book I have to throw out there. um, Kilpatrick's Equipped for Reading Success that kind of goes into the orthographic mapping, which is a big key part of structured literacy. So, and that'll be a big part of your, of your lessons is taking that encoding piece, which is spelling. And um, so once you yeah, once you have your sequence, I'm kind of rambling now, but once you have your sequence, that's that's probably the most important first step. I think that's perfect. And there are, I feel like every program, whether it's your reading series that the school buys, whether it's something that you found online, whether it's an intervention, everything has its its sequence. You're right with that. And even I feel some teachers get very heated about, no, we have to do, especially kindergarten teachers get real irate about the order in which you introduce those letters and, and things like that. Who cares? you got to start somewhere. I've seen so many different, like, this is why you should do this. And this is why you should do this. And this is why you should do this. And I just think at the end of the day, we, <laughs> we need to teach the letters. And I don't know, maybe I'm 
this probably isn't good to say, but I don't think it matters because there are, there are definitely some things like some people say, oh, start with stretching sounds or start with the most common. I started with the most common, the ones that I could build words with Mm -hmm. um, and making sure that I separated ones that were too similar, like B and D. So too similar in, in either like their, how they look or how they sound. You want to keep those separate, but then again, there's only 26 of them. So how separate can you really keep them? Right. (laughs) Right. There's things like I kept W and some of the more, um, you know, or Y kind of later Q. They're a Even bit. like M and N, I don't like to teach those oh, back right. to back because it's like they look similar and sound similar. Yeah. It's hard, you know, yeah. things like that. But I mean, at some point, like you said, you have 26 letters. You're going to have to encounter all of them. Like it's got to happen. But having a plan, I think having a plan is is the first step once you have that background knowledge. I also think you kind of have to just dive in. You just have to choose something because even for me, I chose something that I, you know, I kind of put a lot of time into what I was going to do. I made these wonderful spelling sequences like that I sell on TPT that I'm now revising because I'm like, "Mm, I don't really love those two here. Or I think this should be earlier in the year because you can get a good, um, you know, introduction to that, but then move this a little later. And so you can tweak later. You can move things around. If once you're in it, you're like, mm, no, not doing that again. <laughs> oh, every year something's different. The amount of changes I've made because you experience it, you live it, and you learn from all of your students. And every year you learn something new. And then you think, okay, I'm either going to add something, take away or move it. So it is a process. It's not something that you are going to master overnight or that you really need to master overnight. And like I said, if you have that background knowledge, um, even if you just Google how the brain reads, and if you learn that background knowledge, that will help you so much. That's very powerful and something you could easily do. And then each rabbit hole that you go down with just helps you understand a little more and a little more. Even for me, sometimes words helped me, you know, like orthographic mapping. Then I could be like, oh, what's orthographic mapping? How can I get started with or You know, so it's like you yeah. can just kind of then learn a term and then you could be like, mm, how am I going to incorporate that and go down that rabbit hole? And each year I've kind of focused on something different and you can tell, I mean, I haven't been the best at adding to my blogs lately, but if you go back and I have a post about orthographic mapping, you can see, oh, that was clearly her, um, what she was working on that year. You know, this year you can tell from my Instagram, it's probably, it's fluency. I've been working a lot on fluency. And so I've taken, and in the beginning, it was just the basics of phonics, like learning the rules and kind of understanding how I can best present that to students in a way that isn't so like labor intensive. Um, so that's the thing is you'll have different focuses because there's so many, you know, morphology is an interest of mine. That's kind of, I've studied that, but that's where I want to go next. I want to become more of an expert in that. So each year I kind of take something that I want to improve upon. So when you have your basics and you're like, okay, I have my, I have my sequence. I'm learning how to teach phonics. Another good book is a fresh look at phonics. Um, so you, you're learning phonics. Then you're thinking, okay, now I need to look at Kilpatrick's work and learn a little bit about orthographic mapping, because that's something I'm going to use right away with my instruction. So just kind of, and then later, you know, like I said, fluency for me came a little bit later, like, oh, this actually matters and can really affect my, how my students read, you know, Um, but I didn't learn it all right away. Maybe that's the key too. Uh, you know, as we evolve as teachers, I hope I know more now than I did five years ago. And I hope I know more in five years than I do right now. And so maybe we just need permission for that. 
it's okay to dive in and you're not going to, you're not going to know it all. You're not going to yep. be able to read it all. The summer <laughs> is only so long and you can only read so many books between now and the time school starts. So, so true. <laughs> so now that you have your sequence, you kind of talked a little bit about now you're going to plug in activities. What do those look like? What are you focusing certain chunks of time on like phonemic awareness or do you, what does that look like? I guess in say a 30 minute chunk of time, how do you get it all done? Great question. I get that question a lot. And so it's different because I've, I've done like hour long tutoring sessions where I, I have the structure of the lesson and I can go bam, 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 bam. So I'll tell you about that, but then I'll tell you how, just so you get the overview, but then I'll tell you how it looks in my intervention groups where I only have 30, sometimes 40 minutes, a couple, you know, three times a week. So the structure of the whole lesson is you spend a few minutes reviewing. That part is so important. Just whatever you've taught the most recently and that, you know, let's say I just taught silent E, so I'm going to, I'm going to review that. And that's a syllable type. I want to talk about the rule real quick, boom, do some words moving on. So that's like three minutes. I want to do some kind of visual drill. And that's especially important for our struggling readers because a lot of times they do have a hard time holding on to new graphemes and graphemes are just letter, one letter or multiple letters that represent a sound. So, you know, for my beginning first graders, that's just the letters of the alphabet. I'm going to go through real quick. Now, the simplest way, flashcards, you've taught them, they're just going to give you the sound. If they don't know it, you put it back in and you do it again. Um, later, like I said, when you get more creative and you've been doing this, that's when you make it a game. Maybe a, that's like a five minute game. You know, you can make it more creative than just flashcards. But if we're just keeping this simple, a simple visual drill, flashcards to make sure, and that tells you as a teacher, oh, wait, you know, they, they're they not solid on the consonant Y sound, or they're not solid on, on X. It'll just kind of give you a little, it's kind of like a mini assessment too. Um, you can do, I do my auditory drill later, so I'll get to that. But phonemic awareness, you spend three to five minutes on phonemic awareness. It's meant to be quick. Um, it's not meant to be something that takes up your whole lesson. Now in kindergarten, I spent a lot more time on phonemic awareness, but since I'm kind of talking about first and beyond, um, and I like to tie it in. I've done it both ways where I'll take a drill that was made from either Haggerty or Kilpatrick, um, or I'll make my own that goes along with the lesson that I'm teaching. So for example, if I'm teaching a lesson on short A and I'm doing CVC words, I'm just going to do a simple, give me a thumbs up if you hear this sound, ah, Watch my mouth as I make that sound. Ah, okay. Can, cat, bag. And then I'll go in big and they'll give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So I'm just having them listen for our target sound. And it's just simple, simple little phonemic awareness activity. After that, that's when I teach my skills. So this is where it gets different when I'm um, in my intervention groups, when I'm just doing a tutoring session, I can teach, you know, spend about five minutes and, and teach it. And then I'm doing my guided practice. So I find on my first day, day one of my intervention groups, my teacher time is what I call it. My teacher time, my modeling is much longer because I feel like I have a lot more that I want to get out and I want to make sure that they're understanding. But then on my next two sessions, cause I have to see each group three times a week, that part's going to be a lot shorter. And that's kind of how I get through it so that it's not the same every day, the amount of time after teacher time or modeling is guided practice. That's when as a group, 
I'm still kind of controlling it, but they're answering more and more. And this is when I'm making sure I'm kind of like checking for their understanding, making sure that they're really getting it. This can be decoding practice. This can be, this can even, um, this could be kind of like a game or an activity that you do. It can be a word sort, anything like that. So that's a lot of the stuff I post on Instagram is the, are the guided practice activities. So again, day one, that's going to be a little bit longer. And then it's, it'll be kind of medium on day two and on day three, that's going to be shorter. I'm going to make sure that I have more of my other stuff later. So after guided practice, then I'm going to give them some independent practice. And that can be um, as simple. I'm just trying to keep it basic as just practicing decoding words on a page. It can be something really simple. And as you kind of move on and you've been doing it for years, you start to collect more activities, right? Like there's a ton of stuff on Teachers Pay Teachers. Um, and then after you do some independent practice for, again, it's just, just about five minutes of independent practice, then I want to go into spelling. Now, spelling is the chunk that when I first started, speaking of mistakes, I didn't do enough spelling. I relied so much on decoding. So then I would, spelling is so, so, so important. So I would do a bunch of time where we practice spelling and that's spelling and dictation. Now, day one, I probably will just do spelling words. I'm not going to do dictation until probably day two or three because I just want to make sure they can do it with just the, just the word. And then after dictation is the connected text. That's your decodable readers or sentences, just if you just have decodable sentences on a page. So again, on day one, we might not even get to connected text. We might just be practicing. Um, and the good thing is back in the classroom though, when they have like some more independent time, you can still, if you want to make sure they get more practice time reading, you can still have them do that back in the classroom. But just for my little 30 minute session on the first day, I might not have as much time for the connected text on the first day, but then I'm going to have a lot of time for day two and day three. So I hope that wasn't too confusing, but um, the moral of the story is there's a structure to your lesson, but since we only have 30 minutes, we can spread that out. I also like, you know, for me, a lot of times I am trying to, every day is the same routine, routine, routine. So if I'm spending three minutes on a, you know, on something the first day, guess what? I'm also trying the next day, the next day, the next day to keep about the same. I mean, obviously if it's spelling test day, that's a little different, but there, you know, in general, I try to keep those, you know, time allocations the same. I like that you don't you know, on Monday or on day one of your group, when you're introducing something, duh, that's going to take a long, you know, so much longer than it is by day three when now they're reviewing that or now they're practicing that on their own. That's going to be different. Yeah. And I want to make sure that I get on that day one to a little bit more spelling time. So I'm watching to see like you learned so much from a student's spelling too. Um, and just more guided practice so they can feel that confidence. And then on day two and three, when they're doing more of the independent practice, I mean, it's not really independent because I'm right there and I'm doing it with them, but, um, sure. you know, they're, they're doing group. What is yeah. independent, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> but they're getting more time with connected text. And, and, and I've learned that sometimes they're not ready to jump to connected text when they just freshly learned a new, a new skill, you know, as they get older and, um, you know, with my first graders now, they beg for the, for the reading time. They beg for it. They love it so much because they're to the point where, you know, if I teach them right now, if we're doing long vowel teams or we're actually boss yard right now, um, it's not as intimidating to get a text because they have all of their other phonics knowledge. 
So it's it's not as like labor intensive to read a text with Bastiar in it because they're like, oh, we have we know so many other words by this point. So, you know, it also kind of evolves as the as the year goes on. And in a perfect world, there's one day a week where I have 45 minutes with one of my groups. Oh, I can get Isn't it stuff. wonderful? Oh, <laughs> I feel like in a perfect world, you know, but it also helps to have that connection with the classroom teacher. You know, it's so great knowing like, oh, hey, I didn't get to as much practice time as I would have liked. Can you provide this time when they have some kind of a independent time or center time? Can they just read this decodable reader that I really like them to reread a few times and can they look for words and can they do these activities? So having that partnership is just so helpful. What is a connected text and where do you find them? How could teachers kind of utilize that? Could you talk about that just a little bit more? So I use the word connected text because it's connected text is any sentence. So any, it, I, I guess it could even be phrases if you think about it, because it's anytime you have not just words in isolation. You know, I think people think of phonics as just words in isolation. And that is where we start. You know, when you're first learning to read, let's sound out a word. Okay, let's put it in a phrase. And can you read three words together? And now let's put it in a sentence. And now can you try a decodable book? So all of those are connected text, decodable books, sentences on a page, phrases. Um, Even, you know, there's like sentence scramblers, which are like when you have them put the words in order for a sentence. So any time that you're having them not just read an isolated word is is connected text. And that's the biggest difference between um, structured literacy and balanced literacy is that we're not using those leveled readers where they're using the picture clues or they're, you know, there's a pattern that they have to kind of memorize. And there is a lot of guessing with a decodable reader, you're using only the phonic skills that you've taught or only, um, I kind of said that wrong, only the um, kind of the phonetic elements that you've taught. So if I've only taught CVC words and I haven't yet taught them, digraphs, SH, CH, I haven't taught them silent E, this decodable book or reading passage is not going to have silent E. And if it does have one word, you know, just because they're so hard to write without them, I'm going to make sure and I tell them what that word is because they don't have the tools yet to read that word. So it's, there's high success rate because they're directly applying what you just taught them. You know, I just, we're working on CVC words. You're going to read CVC sentences and get that opportunity to practice, practice, practice with that. And it's more, it's kind of what I've learned this year with fluency. Those decodable readers are so much more than just word calling or sounding out. You can, you know, there's certain like fluency lessons you can build within them. So you can take one decodable book and spend a whole week on it if you really wanted to, especially in the beginning when the, when there really are just sounding out words, they're, they're not quite um, to that point where they're proficiently reading. So finding them, Teachers Pay Teachers has a lot of decodable reading passages on there. I really like, I've written a little bit, but um, there's also others and better out there. Um, so if you type in decodable reading passages, also there's some free on the internet. If you just type in decodable passages, what you want to be really careful about though they're not all actually fully decodable. So it's that knowledge again of the teacher to be like, okay, I'm on silent E right now, which means for my sequence, that means they know CVC, they know digraphs, they know blends and silent E. They have not done vowel teams. They have not done bossy R. So if I see a decodable passage that has too much of that, that they haven't learned, then it's not the right fit for my students right now. 
Um, so that's the main thing is just being able to sift through. Uh, a publisher I like, if, you, if you're at a place where you can purchase, I really like Phonic Books. Um, they have wonderful decodable readers. I also wrote some down just in case because I thought that this might come up. <laughs> but um, there are some free ones. Where were the free ones? Um, oh, it's Spelda. So S-P-E-L-D-S-A. Oh, I guess I said that wrong. Dot org. And if you go there or spelled essay, I don't even know what's part. They have free phonic readers that you can, you go up and there's like a resources, click phonic readers. And granted, you have to print them or project them, but they have tons of free little phonic readers. So if I'm a classroom teacher, what I would do was I would project it so I didn't have to print it. And I could use that as, as my lesson too. Um, like I said, there's just, there's a lot that you can find. It is a little, you know, you do have to to probably pay a little bit of money for decodable readers. But I started with using Teachers Bay Teachers because it is cheaper to print and copy and save those right. books. <laughs> uh, so I started writing my own because I'm like, I need more, I need more. So um, there's a lot of people who have written some that you can use. But um, start with, I would start with with that, trying to find, if you don't have a big budget, try to find the cheapest for you or free and then build slowly, build your library, basically. I think it's a good reminder to, to pay attention to what words are used there. Um, I know like with my reading intervention that I've been working on for what feels like forever now, I might hire a new writer and they write some things and I'm like, nope, nope, you, they can't read those words yet. Or, or just because it is a decodable word, like a CH or an SH, you can't throw that in those CVC books. It just doesn't work. Or you could, but then you have to factor in how many words like that do you have? Because yes, we're working on it in a group. So to me, it's like, if we have a word or two here or there, that's fine. There's an adult there to help them, but it can't be loaded with those or they're going to lose that confidence. You're not even giving them the opportunity to practice the words that you've just been targeting. So I think that's the important part is, you know, keeping that in mind as you're looking. And I think that's wonderful advice for others. It does take a little time. That's the hard part is it just takes some time to search to find the right ones. But the beauty is, you know, when I first started this, there was not a lot out there that you could find easily. You know, there were some, there just was not a lot. And now with Teachers Pay Teachers, there's so many options out there. There's some great decodable passages and books that people have written that they can print off. And if you just go search. It's like, wow, you have so many options and they're pretty reasonably priced. And two, starting now is maybe a little easier than 10 years ago when everyone was starting. Now you have 10 years of books, TPT resources, you know, published books that you could buy and make copies of things like that. So you have 10 years of other things that people have done, which would make your life easier if you were just getting started now. Exactly. I think the hard part is with teachers by teachers or with anything on the internet is like I said, just making sure and like having the knowledge to, to not just print out anything just because someone says, you know, there's a lot out there that says it's signs of reading or says it's decodable. And, and unfortunately it's not right. It, it, it's not all perfectly um, decodable how you would like, or it's not all exactly maybe what it says it is. So it's, it's having that knowledge is so important because then you can sift through. Mm-hmm. I also think too, as long as you're dedicating some time towards phonics, 
then you're you're taking one small step towards the science of reading. And it may not be yeah. perfect and it may not be beautiful, but that's okay. Take that small step. Get started. Yep. Yep. Always take the step. Yes, <laughs> for sure. Okay. So one other question that I have that I, I don't know if it's like a big mama question or maybe you're going to be like, no, this is so simple. Okay. You've got your sequence here that we've talked about quite a bit. You've got your sequence. You know what kind of order, what chain of events you'll be having with all of that phonics. How do you assess students on that? How do you progress monitor? How do you group them? I know that's a lot, but if you have your sequence, is that a simple task to then be like, bam, this is what you can do. This is what you can't. What does that look like for you? So I start with Dibbles, which is a screener. And I do that with all students in K3. And that's really nice because that just gives me a baseline. You know, let me use first grade for an example, because that's where a lot of the reading happens. Um, They have so many little subtests that I can learn from each of them. So for example, the nonsense reading one, that's going to tell me, can they decode? Is there, are there huge, if they can't, at the beginning of the year, if they can't get through a couple nonsense words, that tells me, okay, so they're starting they, they don't have the skill of, of sounding out three-letter words. I can start with CVC words, but I am going to check. I'm going to do an alphabet assessment to make sure they just know their letters and sounds. So I might back up a little on that and just make sure they know their letters and sounds. But that's kind of where I would start. If they, if they can read the CVC words, but, you know, kind of slow, um, not, not at a, not a lot, but they didn't get a lot read. And then I noticed they don't have the word reading piece down and they can't read the passage, which many can't at the beginning. Then I'm going to step back and I'm going to do a phonics assessment. So you always have in every grade level, you're going to have those kids who with dibbles, you know, if they, if they reach benchmark and you're like, okay, they're just going to start on a normal progression of where I would normally start first grade. Um, and, but with the students that didn't do very well, I'm going to do a phonics screener. And so what that looks like is it's going to start with just CVC words, and it's going to have a few of those with all vowels represented. And then it's going to move up a little harder to digraphs and blends. And actually, I like to do this with all first graders, even if they do, even if they hit benchmark on dibbles, because it just gives you a lot of information. And you'll see what skills they do have or what phonics knowledge they have. So that you can, that could be your starting off point. So now I have a group, typically, let's say first grade, I have a group where, okay, they did not know digraphs. They couldn't read words with blends, but they did, they were able to kind of read CVC words, but they're not solid on their, on their vowels. I'm going to start there. I'm going to make sure I'm reviewing the alphabet and the vowel sounds in particular short vowels. So I'm starting with closed syllables, CVC words. Um, another example would be second grade. If I'm starting with second grade and the Dibbles assessment shows that they're in the intervention um, section of Dibbles, then I'm going to give them a phonics screener. And maybe they've, they're a little further. So maybe like, for example, this year in my two groups, I had one group of second grade students that they could do CVC, they could do digraphs, they could do blends, they could do silent E, but then it kind of tapered off there and was inconsistent. So I said, okay, with that group, I'm going to start on my sequence at vowel teams, but making sure I'm reviewing the other syllable types so they have that background knowledge. And my other group was just a little bit even behind that. So that group, so I'd actually had two groups that started at different places and um, the fluency was different in them too. So you could also group by, let's say you have two groups and they're both, um, maybe they're both at vowel teams, but one group is way behind with the fluency piece, like the rate. 
than the other group, then you're going to work a little bit more on, you might start at the same place, but spend a little more time on each of those skills and making sure that they're more automatic with their decoding and then working on fluency a little bit more. That's wonderful. Do you have a phonics screener that you recommend? Like, you know, so you have Dibbles, which is something your school provides. Do you have something then for a phonics screener that you would recommend? I do have one in my Teachers Pay Teachers store, and I also use it for, um, it also has like after that, it's how I kind of keep track. There's like a um, an assessment then for just CVC words and just digraphs for spelling, and it even has like a sentence one as well. But there's also, um, I'm trying to think of where I got, there are free ones out there too, and I'm just trying to think of where I got it. Is there a way I can do a link later? Uh-huh, yeah, you can email me that, and I can just put it in the show notes so that then yeah. later people could look because some people might want what you have on TPT because it's complete. I know it's going to work. I know she's got everything here. Some might say, no, I'm not going to pay $4 or $5 or whatever it is. And I'd rather search for something that's free. Either way, we could then have links to both of those so that people could choose what, you know, what would be good there. Oh, great. Yeah. Cause I, there, I know there is a link. I just have to dig for it to, for a free one. And that's a start, you know, um, and then for progress monitoring, I use Dibbles, like a few, I don't do it as much as maybe I should, but I do the Dibbles progress monitoring, like probably once a month with my students. And then I also, after each, um, I guess unit. So I, let's say I just got done teaching Valteens. I'm going to then from that same packet, I'm going to have them read a bunch of the assessment is just like a list of Valteens words. And I also have one with sentences. So how are they doing in connective text? Because, you know, there are times when kids can read the words in isolation and you're like, yes. And then they read it in a sentence. You're like, nope, 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 <laughs> fell apart. Not done, not done. Um, and then also just dispelling. And, you know, when it gets to vowel teams, depending on their grade, I'm not going to like not move on because they can't spell. But I am looking for in general, do they have, you know, um, a basic understanding of of those vowel teams. So, yeah, I try not to overassess, but it is helpful to have just a quick snapshot of, um, of, yeah, do they, am I ready to move on with this group? Do they, are they at least at like 80% proficiency? That's perfect. And then sometimes you might see what, one thing I love about doing assessments is then I can start to break down their errors, you know, like, Hey, I'm assessing on, you know, diagraphs and they nailed the diagraphs because we've been doing it for weeks and weeks. But it was all the vowels that actually made them miss oh, the totally. word, you know, and so if the more you assess, but otherwise, you know, I might sit there and think, hey, they're killing it with diagraphs because technically they are. And then yeah. later when I progress monitor or something, I'm like, oh, OK, <laughs> we've got to work on something else, you know. And so it's just good to do regularly so that you do have those moments even when you don't want the UG moments, but we need them so that we can throw in other activities to start tackling whatever that that skill was you know and the other beauty of being able to have intervention groups that I, it's been a real hard lesson for me is just take the time you need because you can you know and I think that's been the hardest thing because let's just use second grade for an example I had a group where it was like oh I just I just so badly want to get them to grade level I just so badly want to get them to grade level but I had to take a step back and be like, meet them where they're at, go at the pace that they need because you can, because the classroom teacher can't always, you know, they can take a little time out of their day to meet with this group, but they can't spend a whole lot of time on these couple of students who are, you know, behind. So 
I, you know, when you take that time, this has happened year after year. And I'm always like, remember this for next year, Sarah, that when you do take that time to go at their pace, it does. I mean, it might take months and months, but it clicks all of a sudden. You're like, oh, I'm so glad I'm seeing that progress. And I used to not understand how, you know, think about the Dibbles, which by the way, is also free just to download the Dibbles assessment. Um, or it's a, it's a cod, I can't say it, a cotton. How do I say it? They had, they changed the name, but we use Dibbles still, but they have a new name um, that I can't think of now. Oh, I um, haven't used Dibbles in years, so I don't know. I didn't know they changed. Like instead of M-Class, is that what you're saying? It's not M-Class Dibbles, it's something yeah, else? Yeah, they have a new, they have a new name, but um, so sorry, I'm messing that up. I don't know if people are going <laughs> to come after me like, no, it's not Dibbles, but it's free. You can download that stuff, which is great for anybody, but um. So with my students, sorry, I got off track there, but with my students, I was not understanding how like, okay, I'm teaching phonics and they're just doing decodable readers. Is this going to translate to a normal reading passage that like Dibbles or anything else would have just a normal first grade or second grade reading passage? So my worry was like, okay, they're never going to get off of decodable passages. And I know that's what a lot of people think is like, if you're just doing decodable, like when do they read just quote real books? It's amazing how it translates. It's like when you give them these tools, and even if you're not done with your with my phonic sequence, there's a lot more to come. It's just amazing to see that, wow, it really does click and it does transfer. Um, it's just a matter of time. And with some kids, that transfer comes earlier. And with other kids, that transfer takes a little bit more time and patience and practice but it does come. So that's the message I wanted to say, because I do think that's a concern for people is like, well, when do I switch over? There is a point where you stop using decodables and switch over. It's just, you have to kind of do assessments and, and also just observe to figure out when that time is and know that that's not when you give up doing, you know, phonics lessons, but it certainly is exciting that they can, that transfer can happen. And I would also argue Every text is a decodable text in a sense. Yeah, maybe that's not, true. Maybe not it was written of like, I'm going to use AR as many times as I can in this text. Like, yeah, you're right. that's not that. But 85% of our language is decodable if you right. know the rules. That's a good so point. So if we just teach the skills, teach the skills. And what I find, and maybe where you're doing intervention, your students are not special education, are they? No. No. Okay. One difference that I see with mine is they sometimes need the prompt to use the tool. So sometimes okay. it's like, now this is like our spelling words or, you know, we, they just need the reminder to be like, oh, mm, pound the word, you know, get, yeah. get some of those sounds. They just need the prompt. And then like anything else over time, you fade that out. And eventually they're going to run into that word and they're just going to be able to decode it or they're just going to to see OAR is in that word. But every text in my mind is decodable when you know the rules. That's a good point. I like that. Yeah, it's more like controlled decodable, right? Exactly. Like yes, it, it yeah. is a decodable text in the sense that somebody sat down knowing this student knows X, Y, and Z and is working on this. And so it was you know, written with intention. Where if you just get a picture book, you who knows what word you're going to see in there. But also as adults, we can't pretend like we don't ever read a book and we're like, what is, what is that word? You know, like I could go oh, look yeah. that up or, exactly. you know, or you don't know how many times I use my phone to say, how do you pronounce? <laughs> and then oh, say the word. Oh, yeah. 
you know, because there are things. So we can't pretend like there aren't still things that us as adults encounter and our kids need to know some skills to use that. So I don't know. I think what you're doing is absolutely fabulous and what our kids really need. And teachers need you to help them understand some of those rules and how can you make it fun and interactive and something that the kids then remember long term. That's it. And I think also just with the the screenings and the in the progress monitoring, you do start to see after, you know, nine months of instruction, you do start to see the difference between some kids who were not taking off without that instruction start to take off. But you do start to see the kids who maybe do have a learning disability or dyslexia. That becomes really clear um, through this process. And I think that was different because when I was just using leveled readers and memorization, I felt like I had more kids who just took longer to progress. And, you know, again, what does level C or D even mean? You know, what yeah. doesn't yeah. you really think about it. It doesn't really tell you anything about the reader, but I feel like this system now, it really helps me to see like, okay, I know I've given this student the tools and the, the instruction that is needed to kind of rewire the brain. And if they're still struggling, then that that's really meaningful. Then I can yeah. Uh, earlier too, um, I, I don't know what made me think of this now. You were saying you kind of had to give yourself permission to meet them where they are and go at a slower pace and things like that. I don't know if you would agree with this, but that's what I love about my job. Like I, when I taught fifth grade, it's like, this is the pace and we move on and maybe you get an extra couple days for division because that is a killer or something. But it's like, otherwise, you know, the plan or the sequence of when are you teaching things, how you've got a pace where I love special education because it's like, if we have to take all year long to tackle this, that's okay. We, we have the time. And I tell my parents that even sometimes in meetings, it's like, I'm not saying I don't care about the grade level standards, but I'm not stressed about the grade level standards. I'm going to meet Sarah where she is and I'm going to help her take those steps one step at a time. And that's the beauty of what we get to do every day. Yeah. Cause I think the alternative is having a bunch of seventh graders that can't read at all. You know, yes. I think just trying to push, push, push. They're not there. Let's just try to teach at this grade level, even though they're, you know, three years behind. I think that's what happens. Instead of being maybe a couple of years behind, you're like five years behind. Yeah. And how is that working for us? You know? Yeah. yeah. And that's it. We're so lucky we live in an age where there's, in the meantime, you know, while we're doing the intervention, there's still accommodations that we can give to help them in the classroom still get the content that they are smart enough to get and that they are creative enough to want to learn about. So, to me, that's the key too, is intervention is just one piece of it. But if we also have the accommodations in the classroom, you know, audiobooks are just at our fingertips now, which is great. Speech to text, all those things. Um, I think it's just so great because they don't have to miss out on content anymore on just regular classroom stuff. We can still be working on, that's why we can take our time and meet them where they're at. Yes, that's so true. That is why we can do it. Okay. So we're hitting that time limit. Actually, we've exceeded the time limit that I promised you, which is totally fine by me. Totally fine by me. Um, but could you, before we leave, tell listeners where they can find you online and then what will they find when they get there? Okay. So I would start at my, my blog because um, I've taken so much time over the years 
to take what I think are complicated concepts and stuff from all the books I've read and classes I've taken, and I try really hard to simplify it and use visuals and um, kind of put it in teacher talk, but also like how I apply it in the classroom. So it's Sarah's Teaching Snippets or sarahsnippets.com. And if you type that in, you'll find that there's some blog posts. And I would start there just because I think it's, well, I hope anyway, I hope it's a way that um, people can learn more and in a way that's a little less intimidating and not only learn the background, but see how I apply it in the classroom with pictures. And I'm all, this summer, I'll, summer's usually when I do on my blog post because that's when I have time, but I'll be adding to them this summer. That's where I'd start. And then you mentioned Instagram, um, Snippets by Sarah. That's where I, you know, not every day, but I'll, I'll post. Um, that's when I stay late. It's like, I wait till my contract hours are up and then it's like, all right, it's four o'clock. I can, I can do this video for Instagram now, but I try to a couple of times a week, share something that I've done in the classroom that was successful or that the students really enjoyed. So those are probably the two things that I'd look at. And um, if you're interested in resources, you can find them through my blog or my, or my Instagram too. And I would highly recommend both. I, have been on your blog or your website, you know, as just searching for things, or even if I'm looking up words like orthographic mapping and you pop up. So even if people start searching some of those other terms, your blog will be there and they'll be like, Hey, I know her because it, you really do have good information. And I think you are nailing the fact of trying to make it simple make it easily digestible, something that people can understand and apply immediately. Like, like even the activity earlier where you said, you know, we're going to try for the short A sound and you make the sound, watch my mouth and then list off words. I could do that in the hallway, walking down to and from, you know, in transition. Those are easy things that people can do. And so I think it's great that you share those. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, you have a great afternoon. Thank you so much for meeting with me today. This has been so fun. I really appreciate that you had me on. Yes. (laughs) Thanks. And I can't wait to talk with you soon. Me too. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the resource room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.